Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. Whoop, whoop, it's the police. Don't look in your rearview mirror. This podcast covers the latest police news along with hitting the hot topics you've been talking about all week. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Hey folks, welcome back to Police Pod Talk. Once again, we are on the phone with individuals who want to express their concerns and feelings about the events that have been unfolding here across our nation in the last week or so. Today, I had the opportunity to speak with a young man by the name of Ryan out of Colorado, who has made his way all the way back to Indiana. We had a great conversation on different things in his life. I happened to know him from uh, some time ago, but Ryan shared a lot over the phone, and we're going to pick up the conversation in the point where Ryan starts to tell us about how his life started to turn around. And when he does that, he then finds a whole different view on what's going on across the nation, and he would like to share that with us. So we're going to pick up the conversation about the time Ryan tells us his life turns around. You know, things weren't quite working out in my life. Kind of had like a quarter-life crisis is what some of my friends call it. Um, I ended up teaching for a year, and uh, then I went back to grad school and got my master's degree in uh, mechanical engineering and robotics. And uh, after that, you know, all in the meantime, I had... Um, my uh, my soon-to-be wife was living with me. Um, she had she came from uh, Indiana. We met in Texas, and after I finished my master's degree, we got married. We decided that uh, it was worth a shot for me to try a PhD program in Ohio State. Uh, so I tried that for a while. Didn't quite work out, but had a lot of great experiences there. You mean the Ohio State? You just said Ohio uh, State. You got to say the Ohio State. I wasn't sure who knew what was what. I didn't want to push any buttons, but <laughs> I came in. This, I was like, coming this humbly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I had to throw that in there. <laughs> so after that, we came out to uh, Indiana, and uh, I wanted to give teaching a shot again. And uh, thankfully, some of the staff, the principal at uh, Northside, was interested in some of the things I had to say about building a STEM program and also helping out uh, some of the kids coming in with uh, algebra skills. Right. And I thought that would be kind of an honor to be able to help these kids out. And so he gave me a shot, and I'm going to be teaching that in the fall. So your mom and dad, give me give me the background on your mom and dad. What, what nationalities are they? Uh, so my mother, she is Mexican. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, Mexican as far as I know, but I know there's definitely uh, my uncle. I have an uncle in Kansas, and he has long, long black hair. My mom always told me he was, you know, some flavor of uh, Native American. She said she would say Blackfoot, but I'm not sure. Um, when I talk to other Natives, they'd be like, uh, Blackfoot, they're kind of out of Montana, so maybe not. So I'm not really sure. But So there's some mix in there. And all of her, um, her brothers, her only her, other, only her oldest brother speaks Spanish, unfortunately. So I didn't grow up speaking Spanish. I kind of wish I did. But my mom always used to say she used to speak Spanish when she was in maybe elementary school. But as she got to middle school, they would kind of like hit her with rulers and say, hey, this is America. You don't, you know, you don't speak Spanish. And so uh, oh, okay. she stopped speaking Spanish uh, pretty, pretty quick. But just my oldest, my oldest, the oldest uncle does, though. My grandmother does. What about your dad? So my dad, he is you know, out of New York. Uh, comes from a big family. And he's definitely, he's definitely kind of the archetype of, I would say, something out of like posts. You know, post-Civil War, Reconstruction era, African-American archetype, you know, very disciplined, very uh, hard-edged, not very sensitive, but very, but still, you know, good father, good man. Uh, he definitely was a force to be reckoned with. Definitely for that, kind of shaped me who I am. Right. Uh, but he was big into sports, uh, big into outdoors. 
outdoors activity, so I grew up hunting, fishing, which is kind of odd for a, a black person. They, I didn't realize that until I got older. He loved it, and I got into it, and so we were always outside. He also was an auto mechanic, so I got into cars and mechanical things. I'd be out in the garage in the summers, kind of kept me out of trouble in the garage, you know, wrenching on things. So even though he worked just, he worked second shifts, I only saw him on the weekends. But when I saw him on the weekends, there was work to be done. So I definitely got, you know, a lot of contact with him there. So having your parents of uh, such a different mix there, did you experience any problems uh, growing up as a kid, be it in grade school, high school, and then on to college? I, I kind of did, uh, but not, not in ways that were obvious. I know even for my own family, I would have cousins that were, you know, on the Mexican side, and I'd go out there, and, and they would kind of make fun of me because I'd be the only, you know, I'd be, I'd be a black, I was the black cousin, and they, sometimes they would kind of give me a hard time, kind of call me names that, you know, I'm not going to say here, but, um, <laughs> and you. I was like, and uh, they would say, you know, things this, that, and the other, but it was kind of interesting because we were, we were just little kids, so I didn't really think much about it, and I didn't really tell my parents about that until we got older, but you know, we were just kind of just playing, so it didn't really affect me too much. As I, as I kind of got older, I was, and I got into middle school, even race didn't really play too much of an issue because you know, I grew up in, a, in this place called Aurora, Colorado, which was one of the, I think there's a bunch of what they call all-American cities. I'm not really sure what the criteria is for that, but I've seen a lot of these signs throughout the country, and it's pretty diverse. I mean, I'd probably say it's about a third white, at least that time, about a third white, I'd probably say a third black, and then, you know, there was about time a little less than a third Hispanic, and there was some, you know, Asian kind of mixed in there. And so it was a really big mix. I actually thought that's how America was growing up, you know. Um, I, I thought, you know, kind of white people were the minorities, and uh, <laughs> everybody else made up the, the broad swath of the population. It wasn't until I went to college that I realized that I was how wrong I was. <laughs> um, and uh, so race... Interestingly enough, didn't really hit me too bad. My main thing growing up was that I was uh, I was in, I was really into anime. I was into cartoons, uh, math, and science. So I was probably more ostracized because I was what they called like a nerd. I liked to play chess. Uh-huh. I liked Pokemon. I liked you know math and things like that. So I was more ostracized for 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 doing that, which wasn't really perceived to be like you know black, so to speak. And right. I would catch a lot of flack, like why are you going to calculus for? <laughs> Um, you know, that's only white people do that. And I'm like, what? And so it was, uh, it was definitely, that, that was a pretty big issue. Um, so I kind of, I really had, I commiserated more with the nerds than maybe black people. And so it was kind of interesting hmm. uh, growing okay. up. So while you're growing up, and uh, I've talked to a lot of people, and we'll get to our main uh, point here, but did you experience anything from law enforcement that uh, question, made you question, are they doing this because of the color of my skin? Yeah, I would say so. One time that kind of sticks out to me when I was moving into when I was moving to Boulder, which was the, the college town I went, I attended. I, my dad would help me move in, and it'd be a, he he worked night shifts, so we would sometimes make runs where we would help me move stuff in and out at like night, like so it'd be late. So uh, sometimes I feel we would get pulled over a lot more moving in from off of the highway. There sometimes they would be like just just to check our car just to look around in it. And we, this probably happened maybe about two or three times. And, you know, my dad, you know, would say, hey, well, it's probably because, you know, what we look like. I, you know, that didn't really bother me as much. Because I, I grew, growing up, they always told me, you know, before you walk out that door, just know you already got two strikes against you. So you're on thin ice. And maybe that's bad to say, because you know, people say, well, you know, you're kind of promoting this kind of negativity. But, I mean, that was something that was in the back of my mind. So I kind of 
it was just kind of shrugged it off. Um, they would kind of check our car when we go into the, the boulder. But probably another time I was walking from my dorm uh, to the dining hall and this and this cop just really came out of nowhere. Um, he was a security, like the campus security police. And he just, just kind of rolled up on me at night from some trees. Like I kind of not even making this up. Um, and I almost I almost kicked him in the face. Um, because I did, you know, I did Taekwondo for many years and you just don't just walk up on people at night without like something might've happened to you. I'm glad I didn't, <laughs> right. but, uh, right. I'm sure um, he's, I, he's glad you did, <laughs> but he was like, you know, you know, you know, you know, don't worry about no eddies, you know, I'm not you know, doing anything. I'm like, okay. Other times I kind of felt it was kind of the other way. I, I was an RA. Some of the kids that would come from out of state, they'd be, you know, wealthy kids, not bad kids, but wealthy. And they kind of had an air of affluence. But they would sometimes get unruly when they would drink and the cops would be called for parties. And I would hear these kids just like bash the cops like they would call them, you know, pigs and things like that. And the cops would just kind of stand there and take it. And these kind of kids were just really unruly. I'm like, and they, none of them were black. They're all they're all white. And uh, I don't want to say they, they got away with it because I, I didn't I wasn't hoping anything would happen either way. But I was just this kind of an interesting observation that it was still pretty tranquil, though, even though they were kind of acting kind of crazy throughout those nights. But I guess maybe that's more of a college college feel. I guess trying to think backtracking to high school, I pretty much tried to stay out of trouble for the most part. So I didn't have many run-ins with the police. I I would like I said I was told growing up, just don't don't essentially I was told growing up, don't make it easy for people to throw you in jail. <laughs> right, and right. Uh, it's just common sense. So many things, you know, if they ask you a question, just answer it. Don't get smart. But I was growing up I didn't really have a lot to prove about you know manhood or anything like that because I kind of felt I, I maybe I was lucky I had a father figure I didn't have to lash out at people I wasn't insecure about things and and I just kind of just listened and that was kind of instilled into me but it wasn't you know I thankfully that kind of kept me out of a lot of issues mm -hmm. um, so I've seen a lot of my friends they would kind of they would kind of get into it with police officers and I would just kind of shake my head and be like well, no, why you, what's the purpose of this so you didn't have a a bad taste in your mouth about the police. They were there to do their job. They did it well, and they you went about your way, right? For the most part, say that I had a lot of stories from my father about how bad police could be, because um, mm -hmm. he grew up in like you know the uh, the '60s, and I had a I had many many stories. So it wasn't so much that I was like you know, I was thinking like oh they're here to serve and protect. I always knew. I don't say I always knew what I don't say what police were capable of, but I just knew what people were capable of. So it's not so much annex singling out police as bad. But just more of like keeping an eye open, once one eye open about what people can do, and and so that was one reason why I didn't want to test police because I knew there are people like anybody else. They could have a bad day. They could have their own biases, like I have my own biases. You know, if you don't have to poke the bear, then don't poke the bear. So I was I was more just kind of you know wait and see, but don't try to you know poke the bear, so to speak. Right. I'm going to go back. You made a comment. You said you were always told before you left the house that uh, you already had two strikes on you. What did you take that to mean? Pretty much meant like uh, I could be doing something that my white counterparts are doing. If we were at the mall, um, maybe we were talking loudly or we were, you know, being a little raucous. What that meant to me was they're going to come and get me first. The security's going to come and get me first. The cops are going to come and get me first before my friends. Even though we're both doing the same thing, they're going to come and get me first. So it's better off to just not do those things from jump. Don't, if you're, you know, if you're going to drive, drive, drive smart. Don't, you know, speed. Don't things suspicious because they're going to look at you first you're always going to be the the suspect that's just kind of what i took that to be because my parents my, mo my mother particularly would always tell that to me she would because she cared about us you know and 
you know, she didn't want anything bad to happen to her little boy. So she would always tell us that when we go out um, at night, she's like, just know. I just kind of always remember that. So with with your background, your your parents' background, the knowledge that you were equipped with, kind of give me your feelings on what you have seen here in the last couple of weeks with this entire thing of uh, Mr. Floyd unfolding, all the protests, the interactions between the police and the protesters. Just give me a feel on what you, you've been, uh, well, basically what you've been feeling. Honestly, I haven't really been really too knee-deep in the news. I, I've... For the last maybe five or six years, I've tried to just kind of as it as needed look at the news, and I've tried to read a lot more books. I know it sounds cheesy, but um, I try to read a lot more history, sociology books, and talk to people who myself in different situations. So a lot of the news I've actually been kind of lagging behind. But interestingly enough, I can I can still kind of honestly predict what's happening. But I can kind of what, what's happening seems to make sense by and large since what's happened in the past and. What I can, how I kind of feel about it is just there's just been a we have had a communication problem in this country probably since jump communication between different parties where you have you know you know white people black people um, other minority flavors you know they there's there's been a huge communication breakdown and this is just kind of the boiling up of that so when you have one group of people that will protest um, or feel ostracized and feel left out. There's no communication between that group, which would be, we'll say in this case, the, the African-American minorities, with the larger group, uh, we'll say, you know, Anglo-Saxon, you know, uh, uh, whites or, or um, you know, European ancestry people. There's, there's, there's such like a large communication breakdown uh, for hundreds of years that people, people are just vexed. They're like, I just don't understand why people would do X, Y, and Z. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And to me... That I look at that as like a, a relationship. If you're in a relationship with someone, like a long-term relationship, you know, if my wife and I get, you know, have some issues and I, if I come away from it saying, I just don't understand why my wife just feels this way. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Like that probably means that there's poor communication and that probably means your relationship is on, <laughs> is on, uh, is on, uh, has some issues that you got to work out. Okay. And I kind of look at our problem with our country now and has always been is that we have, a country isn't really, in my opinion, you know, it's military, it's sports teams, it's wealth. It's, it's, it's relationships between the people. That's always been, I think, the most important strength of our country is our relationships. And when those relationships break down, because there's no communication, you have this festering of issues that just roil up or just, you know, pressurize, pressurize, and then explode mm-hmm. from time to time. And then people are just walking around just genuinely confused because there's been no communication, no real genuine communication for, for decades. And this is, in my opinion, this is what the, what the issue is. Yeah. Okay. So with that being said, and how do we fix this? I mean, I know that's a huge question, but where do mm-hmm. you see we can start to fix this? Personally, I mean, and this won't apply to everybody. I'm, I guess I see myself as a religious person and I think we can always go to the Bible. We should really should be reading our Bibles every day. If you're, if you are Christian, I think in the Bible, it will kind of point you to the, to the, to the answers that we seek. And I think what that is for me is to solve these problems, everyone kind of has to take a personal responsibility to look at what what they value in life. And for me personally, I value this country. Um, I value this experiment because a lot of people view America as this like granite rock that will be here forever. But rocks erode and countries fall. I think people got to realize that this country is an experiment. Uh, I like the way Jim Mattis said it. Uh, he was the ex uh, Secretary of Defense. He said we got to defend our our national experiment. And I view this as an experiment. 
and as an experiment, you always have to keep an eye on it. So, you know, I'm a scientist. You got to keep an eye on the beakers or, or pressure so they don't explode. You know, same thing with our country. We have to take personal responsibility and say, hey, what can I personally do to make sure my this person this experiment doesn't go awry? And to me, that means you you go to your Bible, and the Bible tells you, look, you should be doing X, Y, and Z, even though it's not comfortable for you. And me personally, there's been a lot of things in my life, especially recently, that I figured I didn't really want to do. But I think if you try to stay humble and try to look to God for your for your guidance, He'll He'll guide you in the way that you should go. And maybe that means that you walk away from the the kind of the nice things in life for for a spell, so you can kind of do His work. And I think His work will always align with what's best for the country. So maybe that means like you know you kind of maybe walk away from making two hundred thousand dollars a year to go make forty thousand dollars a year doing something that will boost up your community, boost up your country. You know you're taking that cut, but really it's not really a cut because you're building up your country because you love it. And I think the Bible kind of points you in that direction. It's really, it's, it's so you're, sorry, you're not really worshiping yourself and what you can, how much money you can make because you are looking to God and your God is telling you, you know, stay humble, serve your fellow man. You know, Jesus came to serve and not be served, walk this way. And I think that'll point you into the lines of work that'll point you into viewpoints that will be more empathetic towards your fellow American, your fellow man. And I think over time, that's a problem to solve. Everyone kind of has their own, in my opinion, everyone kind of has their own trench they have to jump in and start fighting in. But I think all of us look at that and we say, I don't really want to jump in there right now. And I think every, no, no one knows what that is for everybody else, but I think all of us know what that is for ourselves. And right. it's kind of, so basically to answer your question, I think we got to look in the mirror, kind of do what we need to, what, what's on our hearts, what God put on our hearts. You see that on every side, regardless if you're a policeman, if you're a protester, if you're black, or if you're white, that means everybody, right? Everybody. No, no excuses. You don't get nope. out of it. <laughs> nope. God, that's what in the Bible says. It, pretty much in plain speak, the Bible says anyone can get it. Um, so that's, I look at that as everyone, you know, we all got things we got to work on and, and God will be there for us. And showing respect to one another and valuing mm-hmm. each other as a person. Right. Pretty mm-hmm. much. I mean, Imago Day, in the image of God. So it, we can, we can do that. It's possible because, you know, it's kind of was written that way. And, and that's that's how really, in my opinion, that's how relationships, true good relationships, form. And I have I have friends from all ends of the political spectrum, from like libertarians to you know all the way on the other end who are people on the on the far left that are like super like you know Green Party people. And you know we can go out and have a beer, and it's just the mutual respect. You know you're not trying to attack each other, you're not trying to you know get zingers in. You just generally ask questions and just how are you doing? You know, I mean. I think a lot of that's missing, and it's too bad. You've kind of laid something out here that we haven't even, no one's even come close to touch what you've been saying. And you're showing a whole different side. And that's what I like about this. We hear from different people, different points of view, and your point of view is the first time we've had this one, and it is really good. What do you tell your friends who maybe come to you and say, hey, I've got a problem with all this stuff going on. Either I've got a problem with, uh, the way they're treating minorities, or I have a problem with the way people are treating the police and protesters. What would you tell a friend who you're having a beer with who's on that whole different spectrum than you are? What would you tell them? I would say, you know, always think about what you value most. You know, for me, I would say, if I give an example, like for me, it's it's the it's the unity of our country. And when I say country, everybody. So that means the, you know, the white people, maybe that, like, because I have you know, family, friends that are minorities, and I've I've heard a lot of uh, a lot of vitriol towards just white people in general. You know, my my one of my little brothers called me up and told me that there were some Facebook posts that he saw that he just couldn't he just couldn't agree with, and 
he was trying to talk to his friends and he asked me, what should I tell them? You know, that were black and they were just so hurt and they were just, you know, saying some pretty mean things about, about white people on Facebook. And he's like, you know, Ryan, that's just not right. You know, what can I tell them? And basically what I told him was, you know, talk to them, but don't, don't act like you're trying to give them a sermon. Don't talk down to them. Just, just kind of listen to them and feel what they're feeling. But at the same time, you know, just share your own truth, your own experience. I mean, because he would say, you know, Ryan, I can't get down with that. You know, you as my brother, you know, your wife is is isn't is white, so I can't agree with them. So I would say, hey, man, tell them that. Say it's hard for it's hard for you to agree with, you know, painting a broad brush of all white people when you have connections to white people have intimate connections to your own family. So how how would you feel? And so really just kind of getting in there in the in, in the thick of it and just you know be be humble with your feelings or not, be open with your feelings i told him and with 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 his friends and just you know don't be afraid to be vulnerable and because i think a lot of people don't want to drop that guard and there's just know that it's okay you know um and i think people will, will respond to that they'll say well, you know this person's really sincere and they actually want to have a conversation you know i, I don't feel uncomfortable if i have to cry or if i say something wrong they're not going to attack me that, and that's another thing I told them is like, don't attack when they say things that don't seem right. Just listen and just come to it from, a, from an area of love because that's, you know, no one's going to gain anything from just biting someone's head off. You know, it's just it's all you can do is love. And to me, that's, that's, the long, that's the long, the long view of it. And so hopefully he did that, but maybe. <laughs> well, he's going to do what he feels he needs to do in his heart is what it sounds mm. like to me. And it uh, sounds like to me he's getting good guidance from a, a brother who's helping him out. Yeah, I, I can. I I, so. Yeah, well, that's all we can do. We we give yeah. that advice and we hope that it helps out. What would you say if you had a chance to stand in front of a group of uh, protesters, policemen, uh, people who are upset? If you were given a speech, allowed to give a speech, what would be the the main theme of it? It'd probably be. I'd probably say you know, live for the revolution, don't die for the revolution. And because I think a lot of people now they'll want to take a stand protesting they'll want to you know uh, do something that's so colorful so loud and i get it you know that that needs to be done but after all the smoke settles after all the cameras go away what are you going to do now because this has happened not not to this magnitude things like this have happened before and i feel a lot of times people they kind of do a march do a walk post some things and then they just kind of go back to their lives uh they don't look in the mirror and say hey you know what what can i really change in my own little corner of the world in a big way to push things forward. So after, so I would say, you know, after this march, after this protest, after this thing, what are you, how, what are you going to change in your own life and to make things better? And personally, I think that's more than just doing something on the weekend. I think that's more than just, you know, giving someone a dollar at the, at the intersection who needs money. Like, I think that's taking some deep introspection in yourself, uh, going to whatever spiritual or, um, uh, yes, yeah, whatever spiritual guide you, you partake in, Think about that and say, how is this going to make me a better citizen, a better brother, better, a better husband, so I can make my country better? Because I think people would be surprised what they can do if they just allow themselves to be used um, in a good way. Because that's that's because that's harder in life. I feel is to every day get up and fight some battle that's that's good, as opposed to getting up one morning and going to protest. Like, what are you going to do the other 364 days in the year? Like, think about that. I'm not saying don't do this, but I'm saying after this, you know, drink, you know. Drink some Gatorade because it's a long, it's a long, long run <laughs> to get this thing solved. Ryan, all the way from Colorado, made his way all the way here to Indiana, and now is going to be a high school teacher. You'll be touching a lot of young people's lives, uh, be it by the things you say and the way you lead your life. 
is how they're going to watch you. And it mm. sounds to me like you got a good head on your shoulders there, young man. <laughs> so, hey, well, I got a good wife there to keep me, keep me straight, too, so I'm thankful for that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And uh, always listen to what she says, and she's always right. I'm, I'm sure you've been <laughs> told that. Brian, we do appreciate your words of wisdom. We appreciate your view that you see this entire thing unfolding. And what I really like about you and I's conversation is you see past this event. You see where we can help one another and where we are responsible for taking care of this thing to move it a little bit further and uh, taking care of each other. I like Mm -hmm. that. I I like what I heard from you today. And hopefully our listeners can take a little bit out of what you said and apply it to their lives, just like your brother. He has to apply it to his life too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, what am I missing? Come on, tell me. Am I missing anything that's weighing heavy on your heart or anything you want to share? You've got the mic, buddy. Um, I would just say people in times like this, like I have consulted, you know, books. So again, I think people should wean back on the social media, wean back on the news and, and retreat to books. I know people probably don't just kind of, you know, this and the other, but there's audio books. So you can kind of cheat and listen to it in your car. There are a lot of good books to read. I think in this time, one of the guys that I liked most recently was uh, the ex-Secretary of Defense, General Mattis. He is a four-star uh, Marine general, and he uh, has a voracious reader. And he has some really good insights about our country and how it's an experiment and how we got to defend it. And I think people really got to retreat to whatever spiritual book they use or whatever guide they use. And also go back and read the founding documents, read the Declaration of Independence, read the Constitution, read the Bill of Rights, because you're going to hear from left, you're going to hear from right about what this country really stands for. You're going to hear all kinds of um, opinions about what we should do. But I implore people, go back and read the founding documents. Just go back and look at that from a viewpoint of knowing that all the founding fathers, they were really young, you know, just like these protesters out here. I think the oldest one is maybe 40. So these these were idealistic people. They're educated people, but they wanted a country that wouldn't be subjugated to just arbitrary colonial or arbitrary, you know, royalty rule. And they just they were hoping for a better future. And I know you could say, well, I know I looked at them as like, well, they were slave owners and they were they were trash and all that stuff. And I, I get it. But just know that, you know, no one's perfect. And don't don't uh, look at the messenger and skip the message. And I saw I look at these guys. I mean, you know, they were flawed people, but they did a lot of good work. And, and just look at that again. And um, basically, I want people to look at the last part of the Declaration of Independence, the last sentence of it. There are a lot of long sentences in this, but the last sentence is, um, says, I'll read it, it says, Uh, And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. So go back to me, we hear a lot about, you know, well, it's my personal right to do X, Y, and Z. I can do this. Uh, The bedrock of, I feel, of our country, as shown through the final sentence of the Declaration of Independence, which shows the spirit of everything else in the funny document, shows that we need to pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, our money, our honor, because that's the only real reason our country was founded, and that's the only reason, that's the only way it's going to keep going. So, you know, it's more, it's not just about all of our individual, what we want to do individually. It's about what we can do for each other, because that's really what makes a strong country. So I would say just go back and read those documents, because I think that we need that more now than ever. You're going to make a great teacher. (laughs) If I was back in high school, I'd love to have you as my teacher. I learned a whole lot from you right now. That's some good stuff. Ryan, thank you very much for calling. Thank oh, yeah. you very much for sharing. Okay, and and uh, I I know your wife. Okay, <laughs> I know your wife, and uh, make sure you tell her I said hey and her family. Okay, 
Will do. All right, Ryan, thanks for calling into Police Pod Talking. Folks, hopefully we all learned something today. Ryan from Colorado sharing, sharing a lot. Uh, Ryan, we wish you the best in the future and uh, teaching those young people. And uh, keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. Folks, we'll hear from you, or you can hear from us again next week on Police Pod Talks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Remember, you can always go to policepodtalk at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at Cleveland Junior or Police Pod Talk. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.